Hi, I'm Gavin Givanoni. I'm a neurologist based in the East End of London. And I'm trying to clear up some uncertainty about the terminology we use in relation to um, the coronavirus that causes COVID-19 uh, and the terms mutation or a mutant, a variant and a strain. Uh, as you're probably aware, uh, you should be aware by now, yeah, with evolution, this virus is rapidly mutating, uh, creating many variants which are becoming new strains that are changing the pandemic, with the latest one being the uh, Omicron uh, variant, that has serious implications for how this pandemic uh, plays out. Almost all organisms, be it viruses or vertebrates, mammals, uh, have to store their genetic code in nucleic acids. The coronavirus is uh, a particular type of virus that uses an RNA, not a DNA message. But the thing about the coronavirus, when it replicates RNA, it, it has very low fidelity. In other words, it makes lots of errors. And when you get a mutation from the parent virus into the offspring, uh, we call that a mutation. Now, mutations are just a change in the RNA code. Now, some changes in the lettering of the code don't alter the protein structure or the virus at all, and we call those neutral uh, mutations. And even though that's a mutation, it doesn't have any uh, biological effect. In other words, it doesn't change the structure of the virus or its behavior when it infects a, a human. And so that's what we would call a mutant. A variant is when that mutation actually changes the structure of that virus. In other words, it changes the protein. Now, that change in protein, again, may be neutral. Doesn't it change the behavior? However, if it does change the behavior of the virus, in other words, if that virus becomes uh, much more infectious, it binds to a different receptor or it binds to the receptor on the cell with um, higher affinity um, or changes the pattern of transmission instead of being aerosol maybe it goes via uh, secretions or by the or the gut that's when we call it a new strain in other words the behavior of that strain in a human population is different to the parental uh, parent virus and uh, we've now had quite a few what we call variants um, that are almost certainly strains so you may we like to refer to the parent strain as the Wuhan, the WWU strain that came out of China. But since then, we've had variants uh, that I think should be called strains where the behavior has changed. So the first one was the uh, UK. Uh, the other name for it was a B117 variant. That's now called the Alpha variant. And it should be called the Alpha strain. That came out last December and it emerged out of India. Um, it was more infectious and it spread more rapidly. We've also had the South African or B1351, that's now called the beta variant, which didn't have that much in the UK. Um, there's the Brazilian or the P1, uh, is now called the gamma variant. There was a few cases in the UK, mainly down in Wales, but it was outcompeted by the more dominant uh, variant that subsequently came out at the, about the same time from India. That's the B1617.2, uh, now called the Delta variant. And I think the Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta should be called strains because they all had a different epidemiology and a behavior in the human population. 
Now we've got this new Botswana one, which is the B11529 variant, uh, and it's called Omicron by the WHO. And this has many more new mutations than the other uh, strains. What is interesting, this strain appeared to diverge from an evolutionary tree before the alpha, beta, gamma, and delta came out. So this is actually uh, unrelated to these these other variants. So it merged from the parent uh, Wuhan strain to create all these mutations. We think that this virus probably was being selected for and evolved inside potentially one individual who was probably immunocompromised because what happens is when you're immunocompromised, your immune system can't clear the virus. And what happens is it undergoes uh, mutations and gets and breaks through immunity. Your immune system, which is partially effective, suppresses that strain, selects for a new mutant, and, and the process continues. So this might have been mutating and evolving inside one individual, and it's hypothesized because it came out of Africa, Botswana, which is one of the epicenters of the HIV epidemic in somebody with HIV infection. That's the hypothesis. Um, we don't know, but that's likely to be correct because we now have other examples of rapid mutation and selection of variants and, uh, in other immunocompromised patients. We know, for example, had a patient in our hospital that was continuously shedding virus for months, um, and I assume that virus was uh, also mutating, and that patient was under very careful what we call barrier nursing to try and prevent the spread of any new uh, variants from that, that, that uh, uh, patient. Now, that, patient, that variant will only become a strain once virologists see how it behaves and have done tests in the laboratory. So once it gets out into the wider population and replicates in individuals and spreads rapidly and then uh, potentially breaks through uh, immunity, uh, that's when the um, virology community will say this particular uh, variant is now a strain because it's completely different to the previous uh, strains. And it's quite clear that Om Omicron is a new variant. It's got a very... Uh, high doubling time. In other words, the R value, the replication rate is between five and six. So for every person who gets infected will infect another five or six people. And so its doubling time is like somewhere between one and a half and three days in terms of numbers of cases. The other thing is it's got so many mutations uh, in the so-called spike protein on the surface, which is used to bind to the receptor, that many of our vaccine or immune responses against the spike protein don't work. And that's why it's breaking through vaccine and even wild-type immunity. That's why people with previous history of COVID-19 have been reinfected. And that's why people with previous vaccination states are getting infected. Um, even people who've had booster responses are getting infected. And the reason for this is that the current vaccine is based on the original parenteral Wuhan strain. And this particular uh, strain uh, it's got such a different spike protein uh, that all those sites that our vaccine responses, our antibodies are working against, have mutated and are different. So that's why um, it's break. We have so-called breakthrough infections. Now, what we have shown that if you have extremely high levels of antibodies, very high levels, there'd be enough levels of antibody in your blood to partially bind to that spike protein uh, and prevent you from becoming infected or at least spreading the disease and getting a symptomatic infection. Uh, 
And the only way to get very high levels is actually with the mRNA vaccine. That's the Pfizer-BioNTech or the Moderna vaccine, which have been shown to uh, induce very high levels. And uh, that's why the government is trying to get you all to have boosters with the mRNA vaccines to get your levels, your antibody levels as high as possible to, pr to protect you from becoming uh, infected with the uh, uh, Omicron. Now, what happens if you can't make high antibody levels? So there's different reasons. One of them is you're older. So people, as you get older, you make less antibody. That's called immune senescence. Or you want an immune therapy. And the ones we worry about in people with MS are the anti-CD20 therapies. So this is uh, ocrelizumab, rituximab, ofatumumab. Or if you're on an S1P modulator, so this is a class of treatments. There are four of them available now. Fingolimid for relapsing forms of MS, saponimid for active secondary progressive, and more recently, azinomod and penicimod have been licensed and are available for relapsing forms of MS. So we now know from vaccine studies that these classes of treatment really blunt or lower your, anti your chances of developing antibodies. Now, what you also got to realize is immunity is not just about antibodies. You also have so-called cellular immunity, what we call T-cell immunity. And these vaccines, and even booster vaccines, may boost your T-cell responses as well. So in this current environment with this second, uh, and this is, a, this is a second pandemic, because what you realize is the Wuhan strains disappeared. Uh, and we now have this Omicron taking over from the Delta strain. We have a, a, a you know, each wave is another mini epidemic or pandemic. And so... We've changed our, well, we haven't changed our advice. I've just gone back to my original advice, is that it's probably best to be as immune as possible. And in other words, if you can get a booster, get a booster as soon as possible. It may not generate high levels of antibodies because of your age or because you're on one of those treatments I've just mentioned. But having some immunity is better than no immunity because some immunity may be what you require to protect you from getting severe infection, going into intensive care unit, going onto a ventilator, and potentially dying from the infection. So yes, take the government advice, get vaccinated. What you also got to realize that there are now antivirals available. Um, there's an oral therapy that's distributed by the general practitioners. Um, to get the access to that, you really should be on the, page, on the government's so-called shielding or vulnerable list. And the GPs will have sent you a text or a message already saying that you're on that list. Going with that is to keep at home a PCR test. So if you do get symptoms suggestive of COVID, you can get yourself swabbed. And if that test comes back positive, they will contact you and dispense via home delivery company the uh, package of oral antivirals uh, to, to treat your COVID and prevent you from getting severe disease. If you then do need to go into hospital and you have been vaccinated, and they can show that you don't have any antibodies in your blood, they'll do an antibody test, you then become uh, eligible for an intravenous infusion of a monoclonal antibody, a, a treatment, that um, is effective against Omicron. Unfortunately, the Omicron virus is resistant to almost all of the uh, available monoclonals that are used for treating uh, COVID-19. But there is one that is, um, it's made by a company called GSK that is effective against the Omicron. At the same time, don't forget the old message that um, if you are vulnerable, please socially distance yourself, maybe socially isolate, wear masks, hand washing, ventilate rooms, try not to go into high-risk situations where you're going to get exposed to people who may be shedding uh, this virus. 
Um, also, I've also made the case for uh, prehabilitation, in other words, maximizing your general well-being and your general health. So if you did get COVID-19, you can uh, recover from it. And the other important thing is um, um, I have bought one uh, and I would recommend you buy one. It's called a pulse oximeter that you can measure your home oxygen levels. Now, I'm not saying everybody should do this because they are quite expensive. They cost something between uh, 20 and 40 pounds, depending on availability and, and quality. But this is particularly important if you are somebody with MS who's living alone because you can't rely on your symptoms, in other words, how breathless you are, how you're feeling, to decide how bad you are. And the pulse oximeter measures um, the amount of oxygen in your peripheral blood through your finger. Okay, the problem with these pulse oximeters is they're not that good on people of, who are black and brown because they were designed to work mainly on people of European extraction, you know, the white population. But anyway, even if you are uh, brown or, or, or black, um, they will give you s at least an indication if your saturations drop below um, uh, a certain level. I would say that for white people, if they drop below 92%, it means you you know, the normal level is 97% above. So if they start dropping and they drop um, below uh, 92, and maybe if you're black or brown below 93 or 4% saturation, you probably need to seek advice from the NHS. Um, an, an important thing to do is not only measure the saturation when you're at rest, but, you know, do a little bit of exercise, walk to the bathroom and back, uh, walk around your home or your flat, wherever you live, and then test it. And if exercise induces a big drop, uh, that's really an important sign as well. And you need to get in, then potentially get an ambulance and go to a hospital. That means you are vulnerable for sudden deterioration in your lung function. Um, and uh, I personally believe pulse oximeters are the only way you can really be confident that you're monitoring your lung function if the coronavirus causes a pneumonia adequately. And people who drop their levels below um, between 92 and 94% uh, will almost certainly continue to drop those levels and will need oxygen therapy. So I hope you found this uh, helpful and I hope I've explained to you some of the terminology we use when we talk about mutations, variants and strains. Try to give you some context about how these viruses are evolving. Um, and please read the actual newsletter because there's much more information about the evolutionary biology and how this virus uh, is evolving and how it's escaping immunity and the impact this immunity will be having on countries trying to deal with this uh, pandemic. And uh, if I don't do another one of these uh, podcasts, uh, I'd please have a, a great festive uh, season and a happy holidays. And uh, I probably won't be doing uh, newsletters uh, uh, between Christmas and New Year, but I will be back uh, in January.